1: Blog Talk Radio. You look at the whole situation now with San Antonio and the possibilities of Kevin Durant and, and whether or not that will actually happen. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Kevin Durant, big-time player, superstar in this league, can become a free agent. And I think if it, it, it's if OKC wants Kevin Durant to stick around, it's very important that OKC wins this particular series and maybe even try to win the championship. But I think they at least have to win this series – to have Kevin Durant at least think about sticking around. I think if they lose this series, they could have a hard time keeping KD. But let's not—that's too far in the past. Let's focus on the here and the now. You talk about the here and the now. We focus on the here and the now. You look at OKC, and you look at the ability that they have. They have two guys that can come to your building and get 40 and still a basketball game. Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook. There are not many teams in this league that have that. They don't have it. Not many teams in this league that have that. You know, Kawhi Leonard, he's had a big-time year. He's a big-time player. But Westbrook and Durant are both two big-time scorers. I'm just looking around the league. Maybe LeBron, Kyrie, and Cleveland, That that's the, That's another group of guys that can do it, who can give you 40. Steph and Clay can do it as well. And I'm saying, you know, the situation with Kevin Durant and, and Russell Westbrook are two guys as well that can do that, can get you 40 in a game and steal a game. And when you the, the way these guys play, the ability that these guys have, they can steal games. And, and, and OKC, they played an awful game one, but they rebounded well in game number two, and that's the ability of this team. This team has had a hard time closing, leading the league in, in, in fourth quarter uh in terms of blown leads in the fourth quarter, this team can't close. They can't close. And you would think with a guy like KD and a guy like Westbrook that this team would not not have any issues when it comes to closing. But they can't close. And they got to fix it. But you look at it now. OKC has a golden opportunity. Two games in their building. And this, again, this is a team. They can be hot. They can be cold. They can be hit. They can be missed. But the, but when they're hitting and they're flowing, they're tough to beat. They are tough to beat. And San Antonio now. I mean, you look at the first two games of this series, game one, LaMarcus Aldridge got off. Both LaMarcus Aldridge and Kawhi Leonard got off. And then game Number two, LaMarcus Aldridge got off again. 38 in game number one, 41 in game number two. So he's getting off. Deion Waiter says not one man can beat him. One man can't beat him. And he's right. One man can't beat OKC. But Kawhi Leonard's there. Duncan has to step it up a little bit. Parker as well. But you just look at this series. This series is very intriguing. This series was always a series that I, you know, I had my mind set on when the playoffs were start, first started. This series I had my mind and I was intrigued. You got to get more out of Tony Parker. You got to get more out of Duncan. If you want to be successful in this series. Aldridge is balling, but can you expect 41 and 38 from the Marcus Aldridge and, you know, moving forward? I don't know. But I look at Durant and Westbrook, 29 for Westbrook, 28 for Durant. That's very, very possible. That's very, very doable. Very possible, very doable. So I look at those two guys, and I see those two guys and and putting up the numbers that they have and the numbers I know they can do. This OKC team, I mean, talent-wise, there's not many teams as talented as Oklahoma City. OKC is just as talented as San Antonio. They're just as ta- OKC is just as talented as Golden State. Golden State might be a tad deeper, but you stack up Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook again. There's not too many teams that can say we have two top ten caliber players. I don't think there's anybody can say that. I don't think there's anybody in this league that can say that, except for OKC. There's not many people in this league that can say that. OKC can say legitimately, you know what? I can try it out, Kevin Durant. I can try it out, Russell Westbrook. And I got two guys, two top 10 guys, arguably, in this league. A assist a man, assist machine, a triple double machine, and Russell Westbrook, big time triple double man, and of course Kevin Durant. So these guys, can, on any given night, can come into your building, get thirty, get forty, and steal a ball game. Let's take a caller. Let's take a caller real quick.
0: Hello. Yo, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good, man. What you got? Well, I just called in, so I'm hearing you talk about OKC, and yes, they do have two top 10 guys, and that means a lot. Uh, The problem lies in they've always lacked in coaching, and also their role players have never really just peaked out to what you want your role players to be. Every one of their role players, either whatever they give you, they take away in their flaws. So, at the two guards, you've got to deal with Deion Waiters or Robinson. Right. And, and both of those guys, you know, there's a lot of flaws there. Uh, Inez Cantor, who's a great big man to come off the bench for them, and the only reason he doesn't start is because he's horrible defensively and he doesn't really understand, or I don't want to say understand, but he loses his mind kind of sometimes in running plays, doesn't know where to be. And that's why Adams starts over him, who is, uh, you know, a great, great find for them. Uh, Adams, for sure. I would consider any team would love to have him. But that, that's the problem with OKC, man. They got coaching issues, and then it's just the depth of the team and the fact that so many of their players at times don't have to be guarded, which allows people to load up on KD and Russell. But like you just said, though, man, it, still dealing with them in a the seven-game series is the problem. Russ can go off one night, or KD can go off another night, or right. God forbid if they both go off, uh, they can beat you at home or on the road. So it, for sure, they're they're a problem no matter what, and that's why uh, between San Antonio and Golden State, getting that one seed was so important because you avoided OKC in the second round. So no this, this is going to be interesting, man.
1: For sure, and, and tonight should be fun, and moving forward should be fun. But l- like you said. The ability of these guys, and I always say these guys have a puncher's chance because of Durant, because of Westbrook. I mean, on any given night, like you said, they can go into your building and put up some huge, huge numbers. Like you said, the issue is they're role players. Their role players have not been consistent. We've been waiting for Deion Waiters to step up. We, you know, we've been waiting for guys to try to step up. We've been waiting for Randy Foy, who they acquired. Uh, during the midseason to step up. We've been waiting for that next guy, and it, it hasn't happened. And, also, I mean, we, we got to see in terms of coaching, I guess on some level, if you're not closing out games and not closing out teams, on some level you could maybe contribute that to coaching because, again, you know, fourth quarter is all about execution. and execu- And this team, for whatever reason, they don't execute down the stretch, and they've lost a lot of fourth quarter leads. And so – you know, we'll see what happens tonight, man. Thanks for the call.
0: Yeah, and, and P, this is Naj, man. I ain't, I ain't talked to you in a while, man, but it's been a while since I could call in. uh been off work at the top, same time you were on. And, and, and just to add real quick to that fourth quarter thing, just watch their sets in the fourth quarter. You'll see that sometimes they're just not comfortable with their sets, so they just break off of them and go into, you know, kind of KD and Russell hero right. ball. And you know it's difficult to beat good teams like that. So I mean that that's been a big problem for them all year. But uh, I'm sure listening,
1: my man. For sure, and and it's very difficult when you have when you have guys that can score the way Westbrook can, can score the way KD can. I mean, hero ball happens when you have that type of scoring ability. When you have that type of ability, period. These are good bad shot makers, and when you have good bad shot makers, unfortunately, you have situations where guys take. Bad shots and bad shots lead to bad possessions, and bad possessions lead to lost fourth quarter leads. Thanks for the call, man. No doubt. Thanks, man. We're about to we're 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 going to continue this basketball talk. We're about to bring in a guy who knows a lot about the sport of basketball. Let's bring him in now. Ryder University assistant basketball coach Marlon Guild. Marlon,
3: how are you? I'm doing all right, Paul. How about yourself, man?
1: Doing well. Thanks for joining us.
3: Nah, as always, man. Thanks for having me.
1: And, and let's start. We were talking OKC, and you know, obviously now the series is tied at one. We're back on Oklahoma City. Westbrook, Durant had big-time games in Game 2. I'm looking at San Antonio. Kawhi wasn't too great in Game 2. Tony Parker has not been great in this series. Tim Duncan has not been great thus far in this series. End of the day. Can OKC get it done here, Marlon? Can they win this series?
3: I think they can. Uh, And the reason why I say that is, you know, Westbrook is capable of beating you by himself any single night. You know, Durant, the same thing. I think it's all about what you get from your supporting cast. And, cash. and uh, you know, some of these guys, you know, Cantor, Cantor's got a big contract. You, you, this is where you earn your money. You, you know, you, you're making, I, I forget what it is exactly, but $70 million, $80 million over yeah, that about amount years. of years. This is what they're paying you for to uh, step up during uh, the playoffs. And, you know, I, I like Adams. Uh, you know, like you said earlier, uh, Foy was brought in for this reason. You know, I know he hasn't really touched the floor yet. Abaka uh, as well, you know, these are the times when you earn your money and you have to step up. And, uh, you know, minus the refs the other night, I don't know if OKC has stepped up, but I think uh, being at home now, you know, they'll get some, some home cooking. Uh, you know, yeah, you can – question the coaching a, a little bit but uh you know, maybe it's something where they might need one of your uh the guests that you're having on later, man. Uh
1: <laughs> pop some good
3: times as the coach or something. I, I, I don't know, but uh I, I I think they'll they'll figure it out. Shout out to James Evans by the way. I was a big James Evans fan. We all had James Evans growing up, but uh For sure. <laughs> but uh you know, I, I think at, at home OKC, they'll turn it up a little bit, and it's a toss-up series, man. This this one really is a toss-up series. Uh, I think OKC playing at home with that crowd, they're tough to beat at Chesapeake Arena. And, you know, if they can get games three and four, I think they put themselves in a good situation. I never want to count the Spurs out. Greg Popovich is a great coach, and just the way they do things in San Antonio from top to bottom is is top notch. But you know, I I think you're kind of seeing the passing of the torch a little bit with with Spurs. Uh, You know, Duncan's getting a little older, Parker's getting older, Ginobili's ancient. So you know, (laughs) it it, it could be a passing of of the torch now. Even even after the regular season, they had
1: 67 wins. I mean, this team easily could have don't, don't, won 70. They could have won 70 games, this, uh, this San Antonio Spurs team. You see the possibility of, of you know, Park, like you said, Parker. I look at Parker. I'm looking at the box score. Game one, two points. That didn't really matter because they blew him out. But game two, only seven points. Duncan hasn't been very good as well. I mean, you really do see a passing of the torch on some
3: level here. I do, and the reason why uh, I say that is because for as good as Kawhi Leonard is, and, you know, everybody says he's, you know, yeah, some people, they might say he's a top five player in the league. I don't think that. I think he's probably in the top 15. But now if you look at all of the ways that Kawhi Leonard can score, it's based on the offensive end. You know, he can get his baskets off the defensive end by getting up into guys and, you know, getting steals and things of that nature. But a lot of his points come off kickouts from Parker for three. And if you neutralize Parker on certain situations and keep him in front of you, well, now he doesn't have those driving kick situations where Kawhi can shoot those threes. And now you're forcing him to make plays in the, uh, the half-court set going right, you know. And, and if you watch him closely in the half-court, a lot of his things are all going right. And in a series, especially with one, like, against OKC, you got guys that, that are a little bit longer that can cut that right hand off now and, and force him to go left, and it's not as easy, uh, you know, which puts more pressure on LaMarcus Aldridge. And right. – he he was seen as the heir apparent to to Tim Duncan but now you know i don't know if Aldridge is used to these kind of playoff series yet yeah they they had a little sniff of the playoffs uh in portland but you know when he was there you weren't having portland on your list as a contender you know so now he's getting a feel for what uh the playoffs are like when it's really everything's on the line um you know, I know last year Lillard hit that shot against Houston, or two years ago, excuse me, he hit that shot against yeah. Houston for Portland. But now, Lamarcus is in a little bit different situation. The Spurs are expected to win championships, where sure. Portland was just happy to be there. So now, how does he step his game up? And I think he's still a year away from that. And now, you know, so that's why I say the passing of the torch, uh, so to speak, because you've got Kawhi, you've got. Lamarcus, only one of those guys is really playoff tested, and that's Kawhi being in the finals with the Spurs and so on and so on. So I I do think it'll still go seven, but I got OKC pulling it out. Let me ask you this, and here's the thing. I, I think if it goes seven,
1: you almost have to favor the Spurs because that home court means so, so much in the seventh game. I mean, we saw it in the first round. I think if it goes seven, you got it. I think you have to say Spurs. But, I mean, it's always possible. Like I said, OKC has that puncher's chance. And so this series is going to be fun. And it has been fun. and It's only going to get better, I believe. And I hope it goes seven. I hope it goes seven. And I I hope OKC wins. I actually am rooting for OKC. But we'll see what happens. We're talking to Ryder, university assistant basketball coach, Marlon Gilder, Marlon, I want to ask you this. Now, game two, we we heard all the talk about the officials, the five blown calls, Ginobili stepping over the line, uh, Deion Waiters throwing the elbow, um, you know Serge Ibaka grabbing LaMarcus Aldridge, you know so on and so forth. But to to me, it, it all evened out. And in reality, if you want to call the foul on Deion Waiters, you got to call the you know delay a game on. Ginobili, because he stepped over the line.
3: But
1: from my perspective, you know what? It all evened out. The right team won. Let's move on. Your thoughts on it?
3: Uh, I'm with you. Uh, you know, during the replays when they were talking about Dion Waiters throwing elbows, the first thing that caught my attention was Ginobili's left foot stepping on the end line. So,
2: you know, th- those
3: two plays right there kind of X each other out. Uh, and then everything else is all secondary. I, I think if with those two plays that you have with waiters, with the elbows and with the uh, stepping out of bounds, those were the two most important calls. And nobody's talking about the fan that was holding Stephen Adams' own, right. uh, arm. So, it, you know, it, it's just so all a part of the game. Hey, reps miss calls all the time. Uh, it, you know, it, it's uh, – it's a tough tough sport to rest, um, you know, and not to knock any other leagues, but basketball sucks because everything's so bang, bang, uh, you know, that you're not going to get everything right. And sometimes uh, teams come out on the wrong end of the stick, and, you know, in the Spurs case, would that call, if it had been flipped, would it have made a difference? Would they have scored? Who knows? So now that you say yeah, the refs make that call and Spurs don't score, are we still talking about all these things? like we are now. I don't think so. So, you know, it's one of those things that you move on. Game three, that's it.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, man. And I, I, I almost say it was kind of much to do about nothing, to be honest with you. I think too much was made. I know Weber was kind of going off there a little bit, but I, I thought it was just just a little extra. I mean, because it, it all evened itself out, and, and that's what you want at the end of the day. And like you said, officials make mistakes. But it evened itself out, so it really wasn't that big of a deal. You, you have the situation now with, with Steph Curry. Steve Curry says more more than likely, Steph Curry will not be available for Game 3 against the Blazers. My thoughts are you keep Steph Curry out until that series, that series gets dangerous. So as far as from my standpoint, if it gets 2-2, then you bring Steph Curry back for Game 5. But if, if you you know, let's say Portland wins game three, it's 2-1, you come back and win game four without Steph. I don't think I bring him back unless it's a 2-2 situation.
3: Your your thoughts on Steph Curry? First, I'll say this. How good are the Warriors that they're able to be 2-0 in this series without Steph Curry?
2: True, uh, And, and
3: I, I think with Golden State, man, it's one of those things where you can't say besides Steph Curry, All right, would would you say Draymond Green is a top-five player? No. Would you say Klay Thompson is a top-ten player? No. But this is what happens when you get everybody on the same page. Uh, You you know, you all often hear the saying that players, you know, win championships and, and things of that nature. But this is what happens when you have good chemistry, man. And, you know, we have a saying here, at Ryder, when things don't go right, we just got to go back in the studio and make the new sound. Well, Golden State Sound has been working the past two years, so it's okay if, if you're missing one producer here and there uh, for a track. You know you're still going to have that nice sound and people are still going to like your music, and that's what's happening with Golden State. People are still going to like their basketball. They're going to come in, win their games, and share the ball. uh if one guy has a shot, another guy might have a better shot. Well, let me pass it to him because that's how we play here. So, right now, I could probably play on Golden State and we'd be up 2-0 right now with the way they play.
1: So, yeah, they,
3: they, if, if I'm if I'm Steve Kirk, I rest them as long as you need to rest them, and keep this thing going. And, and you know, you, you look at the year that Golden State's had. It, it was a great year, best record in NBA history, so on and so on they have faced a lot of adversity this year. Yeah. One With not having Steve Kerr for half the year, uh, and then making that transition of having Steve Kerr come back, that's not easy, you know, because Luke Walton has his own philosophy on coaching. Steve Kerr has his own philosophy. So, yeah, it's probably within the same chapters or, or uh, of coaching, but each guy is different, you know. We're not going to all like the same thing. So, for Golden State to put everything together with the season they've had with losing Kerr and then, you know, Steph missed a couple games with uh, the the ankle injury, I, I believe, and, and, you know, they've been battle-tested. You, you know, I watched them when they came down here and they played the Sixers. It was a game that was a blow up. The Sixers came back. The Warriors didn't panic, uh, and Harrison Barnes hit the three in the corner in front of the Sixers bench for them to win that game. So nothing is going to rattle them, you know, and this Steph Curry injury is just uh, another spoke in the wheel that on this bicycle that they'll keep riding.
1: We're talking to Ryder University assistant basketball coach Marlon Gilden. Marlon, we had a situation with Chris Bosh. He's out now for the playoffs. They resolved it. It was kind of a back and forth situation. Uh, the you know the the players association got involved as well, but ultimately Chris Bosh and the Miami Heat came to an agreement. Bosh will sit out, and you know we don't even know what if if Bosh will be able to come back and ever be the same guy. I mean, you look at Chris Bosh, look at the whole situation. I'm, first and foremost, I was against him coming back. It just was not worth the risk in my opinion. I mean, I, even if he would have came back, can you have, honestly say the Miami Heat we're going to be a, a team that could win an NBA title? No. So, I mean, I, it's an unfortunate situation. Your thoughts on the whole Chris Bosh situation?
3: Oh, well, you know what? The Chris Bosh situation for me is, is a little touchy, man. And uh, the reason why I say that is I, I lost my dad two years ago to blood clots. And uh, he had no, he had no idea about it. So it it was one of those things where I I saw him one minute and the next minute he was gone. And we discovered that he had blood clots in his lungs and didn't even know it. So the the Chris Barr situation is always a touchy subject for me personally, because it's like, okay, man, like you can really cause major harm to yourself and your family uh, with, with this situation.
2: Uh, and,
3: and I applaud Chris Bosch for trying to make an attempt to play. But, man, as I get older, man, and I have a family of my own now, my, my wife and my kids, they're more important to me than the game of basketball. Uh, so you have to get better because one day, you know, we joke about this all the time, you're not going to be able to play basketball anymore. True. Uh, or, or, Paul, in your case, you're not going to be able to do radio anymore. So what you do with your family is just as important as what you can do on the air or, in my case, being a coach on the court. Uh, and, and I really want to applaud more so Pat Riley than Chris Bosch of squashing all this. And, and you know, Pat Riley has that mafioso Don kind of thing to him that says, hey, I said we're shutting this down, so we're shutting it down. But he's looking out for Chris's best interest. The Heat organization, they're looking out for Chris's best interest. And, and sometimes as an athlete, it's almost like, okay, if I'm hurt uh, or injured, it's a sign of weakness. Well, in this situation, let, let's be smart here, you know. Yeah. Chris, Chris Bosh is what? 31, 32 years old. He still got another 50 years to live. So, you you know, let's be smart here. Uh, I I applaud him for wanting to try to play, but you know, you got to worry about your future, man. And and I applaud the heat for, uh, looking out for Chris, because let's be honest, there's some organizations, man, that would have let him play. And, You know, if something would have happened to him on their watch, then we're looking at a lot of lawsuits and breaking news and and things of that nature. So, you know, uh, I applaud the Heat on on their decision to sit him out. Uh, And I'll be honest, I don't think they need him in this series because I just think the Raptors aren't there yet with uh, figuring out how to win a good series. You, You know, it took them seven games to beat Indiana, which they probably shouldn't have won, and I don't think they'll beat the heat in this series, uh, you know. So having Chris Bosh sit out, man, I think is just a good thing for all parties involved. And,
1: and just speaking of that series, and here's here's where I, here's where I may counter you for a moment. I, I look at Toronto, and reality is they they got by Indiana pretty much without their best player. And I know Kyle Lowry is on the court, but he's pretty much been non-existent in the series against Indiana in game one against uh, uh, Miami, he was non-existent ultimately they beat Indiana in seven ultimately they took the game in overtime against Miami game one they lost, but yesterday they got the victory, Kyle Lowry better, not great, but better hit some clutch shots in that particular game I'm not ready to dismiss Toronto. They, I I do see a team that has some issues, but I think if Kyle Lowry can get right, you got Valachunas who's playing some big time ball. If Kyle Lowry can get right, I I think Toronto can win that
3: series. If Lowry gets gets right, I'm going to have to disagree with you because for as good as Valachunas can play, and he was awesome last night. And for as good as Kyle Lowry can play, you still have holes in other areas. I'm not a DeMar DeRozan fan. I don't think he has the it factor to get them out of this round. Uh, and I, I think – I could be wrong, but I think DeMar DeRozan leaving Toronto after this year to go back to the Lakers. Uh, just, just my guess. That's not uh, rumors or anything. That's just my guess. Um, I, and I don't think uh, – Terrence Ross is ready to take that next step. DeMar Carroll is battle-tested, but he, he's he been hurt a, a lot. So I, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sold on the Raptors, uh, you know, with their other pieces. You know, I, I think Kyle's toughness will get him out of the funk that he's in. Uh, Valentunas is, is, is a stud. Uh, just those other guys I, I'm not too sold on. Um, You know, they're talking about Norman Powell. No disrespect to Norman Powell. I had no idea who he was until uh, game seven of the Pacers series. So, you know, I'm just not sold on on Toronto because on the other end, you got Dwayne Wade who might be one of the top two guards of all time, man. Top three, you know, two guards of all time. Uh, And and he knows what it takes to win. I mean, you saw how – he closed out Game Six and Game Seven of that first round against Charlotte, um, you know, and, and in this Heat series, you know, he ha- he has the factor of getting in guys' faces and letting them know that hey, you're not playing the way you're supposed to be playing, you know, and, and the way I'm saying it is a lot lighter than how he says it. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so when you ha- have a guy like that on your team that can. That's battle tested and can close out games and things of that nature. You always got to ride with that. And he's a vet, man. I'm riding with the vets all day.
1: All right. So you 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 think the Heat will get it done ultimately? How many games?
3: Uh, I say the Heat and six. Heat and six. Okay.
1: So they close it out in Miami. Before we get out of here, I was you know looking around on Facebook and and I, and I went to your page and. um Yesterday at around eleven twenty-three a.m., you posted, Frank Vogel, please come to New York. <laughs> Frank, they they must have listened. The Knicks must have listened because, according to some sources, the Knicks have reached out to the agent of
3: Frank Vogel. You want Frank
1: Vogel in New York?
3: I would love Frank Vogel. I, I have, a, I had a top three list of guys. Now, this was before the Frank Vogel news uh, dropped. I I had Tom Thibodeau uh, and more so because of that photo that uh, has been floating around on Twitter with him in the Minnesota Timberwolves track suit from 1989 or 90, whenever it was, (laughs) uh, and Luke Walton. Those were my, my top two guys. And then You know, I I would love to see Patrick Ewing come back to New York as well, but that's that seems to be a a pipe dream. I don't know why, but those were my top three. And then once this Frank Vogel news came out, uh, obviously, you know, Luke getting his situation with the Lakers and Thibodeau going to Minnesota. Well, as soon as Vogel's name came up, he shot right to the top of my list. Uh, He's a guy that's respected. Uh, six years uh, was a great coach with, with the Pacers who probably if, you know, a bounce here or there, uh, maybe they're the ones in, in the NBA finals rather than yeah. the Miami Heat a couple years ago. Um, and you know what? I, I don't know. I think they might have broke up that Pacer team one year too early. Uh, you know, I, I still think you could have gotten something out of Lance. Um as you can see, since Lance has left Indiana, he hasn't been the same. No. Um, I wasn't I wasn't the best Roy Hibbert fan, but, you know, now that he's left the Pacers and gone to the Lakers, he really looks like that trash can meme that we've seen about him. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and David West, man. David West was so underrated, you know, for what he did in the Pacers uniform. Uh, I think if they could have kept that together one more year, uh, you know, we probably wouldn't be in this situation with Frank Vogel. But, hey, one man's loss is another man's gain. So, hopefully Phil Jackson makes the right decision here. And, and, and hey, I, I'll put it to you like this. Kurt Rambis can see through those glasses that he has on that Frank Vogel is the best choice right now. <laughs> and You know what? I mean,
1: I, I thought Frank Vogel got the most – out of that Indiana team last se- uh, this season. I, mean, I-, I think he got the most out of that team. I don't know exactly what Larry Bird's looking for. You know, Larry Bird, you know, ultimately he lasted three years in Indiana, and he ultimately stepped down as the coach. But I don't I-, I don't know what he's looking for. I-, I know he wants more scoring, but, you know, I-, I think Vogel got the best out of that particular roster and took that team as far as it could go. And, hey, they, they almost won almost beat Toronto in that first round. Easily could have won that series. So, I mean, I, I think he got the best out of those guys. And, you know, for whatever reason, Larry Bird wants to go in a different direction, and we'll see what that direction might be. By the way, Phil Jackson is on vacation at this point. So, you know, maybe the next job, you know, I mean, we'll see. Maybe in a couple of weeks they'll figure something out. But right now Phil's on vacation. How does that make you feel? Well, You, uh,
3: you know, I, I'll say this. How is he on vacation when – the Knicks were pretty bad this year. You can't be on vacation. You have to work. You gotta work. You gotta make make this product better. Uh, you, you know, here at Ryder, we had an okay year. I don't see a vacation in sight because I want us to be better next year than we were this year. There's no no time for vacation. No time.
1: Sleeping is forbidden. <laughs> <laughs>
3: You, you know what? So, do, do me a favor. Do, do me a favor. When you have James Evans, James Evans on, can you tell him to go where Phil is on vacation, and with that same belt he used to threaten JJ with, threaten Phil with? It.
1: Done deal. Done deal. <laughs> <laughs> done deal. But I mean, that's that's the thing. You got Phil Jackson, and I mean, I don't know. It's just he's, you know, he's an. He, I just never thought of Phil Jackson as an executive and we'll see what happens. But I mean, if you're Carmelo Anthony, you got to be a little pissed right now about what's going on in New York. But at the same time, he made the trade off. He made the decision. He chose money and you know, it comes with the territory, man. But Marlon, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, man. And with the Knicks and the rest of these playoffs, man. And thanks for joining us. And let's do this thing again. No problem. As
3: always, thanks for having me, man. Take care. You yes,
1: Rider University assistant basketball coach Marlon Guild talking NBA playoffs, and you know Frank Vogel is out. Maybe the Knicks, maybe he'll get that job. Maybe if he's interested, if the Knicks are interested, but I mean Frank Vogel again. I thought he did a great job in Indiana. I thought he took the team as far as it could go this season. And but again, Larry Bird's looking for something else. Maybe he's looking for he's looking for something different, possibly. And we'll see what that difference is. We'll see what that difference is. But it was kind of odd this whole thing. Larry Bird said, "You know, we'll think about it. We'll talk about it." And then it was just like a few. You had the sense that it was a done deal that he wasn't coming back because, you know, he was, his contract was had expired and, and it didn't obviously do anything for an extension or anything of that nature. So it became pretty obvious that Frank Vogel wasn't coming back. And we'll see where they go. Maybe they go to Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson, who was coached by Larry Bird at one point, Mark Jackson who played in Indiana. So, you know, he's familiar with that area. He's familiar with Larry Bird. So maybe that's an option. We'll see. We shall see. Let's go to boxing. Um, we got a big fight coming up tomorrow.
0: Um,
1: Amir Khan, Canelo Alvarez. For Canelo Alvarez, is a WBC middleweight title. It's going to be a. I mean, this fight to me is very intriguing. I mean, I, I, I don't. Here's the thing. I mean, Canelo, he's the middleweight champion, but he's been fighting at 155. You know, he's he's fighting at 155. It's a catchweight middleweight division. I guess you could say theoretically, after 154, you are a middleweight, but the division is the the weight is 160. But this is a catchweight fight. His last fight against Cotto was a catchweight. This is a catchweight. It seems like he's just going to be catchweight Canelo moving forward. But, I mean, I look at this fight. Khan, to me, is a, uh, is a very live underdog because of his hand speed. Amir Khan can has, has some great hand speed. And I remember Paulie Malignaggi saying this about Amir Khan. He knows how to still rounds. And we saw Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather outboxed Canelo Alvarez. And maybe Canelo Alvarez... And Amir Khan is not Floyd Mayweather, but Amir Khan does have some speed. He doesn't have the defense of Floyd Mayweather, but he does have the speed. His defense has gotten better under his new trainer, Virgil Hunter. But, I mean, I look at this particular fight, and I, I think it's an intriguing fight. And I think it's a fight that Amir Khan could very much win. I really do. It's going to be interesting. And, and the thing is, the pressure is not on Khan. The pressure is on Canelo. Conn is moving up. Canelo's been at that weight. The pressure's on Canelo Alvarez here. You know, Canelo Alvarez is, is that next guy in terms of being that cash cow. You still, it's, it's still at this point still Mayweather. And I guess you could argue Pacquiao too, even though those two guys are retired, quote unquote. And then you have Canelo, third. You can maybe argue that Canelo's maybe ahead of Pacquiao at this point. In terms of cash cow in the sport of boxing, and you got Triple G that's out there as well. But I mean, and I don't think his pay per view did too well against Dave Lemieux. It wasn't a great uh, situation. But we we got to find uh, a person that's willing to get in with Triple G. And if you know at this point WBC has said if if Canelo wins this fight or if Khan whoever wins this fight they got to fight Triple G next. And if they don't, they got to give up that belt. And nobody is willing to take that take that that step up. To, to fight Triple G, no, there's a, a lot of people are a little leery about stepping up and fighting Triple G, and I don't blame them. The, the Triple G is an absolute monster, an absolute beast. He's a beast. So I think there's a lot of people who's afraid to step up, step up to fight a Triple G. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. But it's going to be a fun fight, an interesting fight. And you know what? I actually think Amir Khan's going to win the fight. I think Amir Khan's going to be able to steal enough rounds. The key is for Amir Khan, he's got to stay on his feet. You know what? When he was fighting Danny Garcia, he was out boxing Danny Garcia for a few rounds. He got caught. He got caught. When he beat Lamont Peterson, when Lamont Peterson beat him, some questionable things going on there, in terms of you know the Lamont Peterson. Well, there was a point deduction against Amir Khan in that twelfth round. I think it was two point deductions in that in that fight. But I mean, you know that that was a fight he probably should have won, probably won. But I mean, you know Prescott had first fight, Bradys Prescott his first loss. That was he got dropped, and Garcia he got dropped. But the thing is about Amir Khan, if he When he stays on his feet, he's tough to beat. When he stays on his feet, he's tough to beat. I just rhymed. But when he stays on those feet, the man is tough to beat. Three losses. And, again, the two losses, Danny Garcia, he got caught by Danny Garcia. But, again, he was outboxing Danny Garcia for a few rounds. But he got caught by Danny Garcia. That was the end of that one. And his first loss, Bradis Prescott, he got caught there. And then against Lamont Peterson, you could argue that that fight was stolen from him. Went to Peterson's hometown, and, and Peterson got a couple, just uh, you know, questionable calls by the ref that ultimately led to point deductions. That ultimately was the, the key to the fight. But Lemire, Amir Khan has been beaten legitimately twice. In the two, again, the two times that he lost It was a byproduct. Uh, the first time, you know, he was a little green. That was early in his career. The second, like I said, Danny Garcia. He got a little too loose, if you will. He got a little too loose, and he got caught. The chin is still questionable. That that's the thing. That's all. That's the thing with Amir Khan. That chin. It's gonna be fun, man. I think Amir Khan get to done tomorrow night. I'm looking forward to that fight. That's a fight I'm really looking forward. To. Decent undercard as well. So I can't wait to see that particular fight. Steve Kerr. Clarify Steph Curry, unlikely to play in game three. And as I said before, they said he is is impressing in practice, but as I said before, you don't put this man out there until your team is in harm's way. And what I mean by harm's way, 2-2. Only way. Not 2-1, 2-2. That's the only way you bring out Steph Curry. Other than that, Steph Curry stays under wraps. There ain't no way I'm putting him out there. Ain't no way I'm putting him out there. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to expose him. this That's the guy. You, you could beat Portland. You know, you could beat Houston without Steph Curry. Ain't no way. Ain't no way you beat San Antonio or OKC without Steph Curry. Or Cleveland, for that matter. And I'm already putting Cleveland in the NBA finals. But or Cleveland. It's nobody in the East that can beat Cleveland. The East is a foregone conclusion. The West is the one that's interesting. That's the foregone conclusion in the East. And the way Cleveland is clicking right now, we'll see. Maybe LeBron can finally get one for the land. Time will tell. But, I mean, if I'm Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, you're not seeing the court in a game until you are as close to 100% as possible when we reach the Western Conference Finals because I'm going to need you to beat OKC or San Antonio. I, I, I'm i okay with you beating up on. We can beat up on Portland and, and Houston. And how about Houston and the way they went out? Not to change the subject, but the way the Houston Rockets went out. They went out like scrubs, bums. They went out with no heart, no pride. They were what everybody said they were. They were gutless, heartless. And that's the way they played. They had no chemistry. The team hated each other. It was a broken team, chemistry-wise. But they went out like suckers. Let's go to Johnny Manziel now. And I, and I and I saw Johnny Manziel in court. Sad. You know, I'm looking at his mugshot now. Sad. Because, uh, I, you know, I defended him on some level but when it comes to the partying. Because again, he's only young. He's young, but at the same time, I did also say, even though you got to know when to party, man. And I mean, you, you, because you got a reputation for it, you had to fall back from it. That's reality. And then you, you're young. You got a lot of money. I get it. But because of what your reputation is, you needed to fall back, and you didn't do it. You needed to fall back from the party scene. You,
0: I mean, you, you, you.
1: and now he's got the situation with his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend, $1,500 bond that he, he was released on, um, can't have no contact with the girl, So a misdemeanor charge, domestic violence from his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, and, and so no plea entered at this point, but I mean, Johnny, and I know at one point you're talking about football, you're on TMZ talking Sounding all drunk and crazy Talking about you in part You've been out each and every night You, you, you I mean, it, it, come on, man you, 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 There's pictures of you with Justin Bieber Watching, you know I mean, come on, man Like, come on, dude Like, stay home Fall back You need to get in rehab There's a reason Drew Rosenhaus dropped you There's a reason your other agents dropped you You gotta get it right, man You can't get it right Being out and about You've got to learn to fall back. And it could be, you know, he's a spoiled little rich kid. Always had everything. You know, he won the highest and was on top of the world. Loved him. Became a celebrity, instant celebrity. LeBron James' marketing team dropped him. So, I mean, he's, he's lost Nike endorsements. He's lost it all at this point. Let's see if he can get it back. He's got an opportunity. But he's got to get the help that he needs. Get help, Johnny. Hashtag get help. Stay home. It's okay. Fall back. It's okay. You're not missing anything out there. Fall back. We'll see if he does it. So far to this point, he has not been able to fall back. We'll see if he can at some point and will at some point. Laramie Tunsil. Laramie Tunsil, Laramie Tunsil, Laramie Tunsil, was the star of the NFL draft for the wrong reason. Signed his contract today, four-year deal, $11 million. But this dude, because somebody hacked his Twitter account, they're saying possibly a a former business advisor uh, hacked his Twitter account, seen on Twitter, gas mask on his face, Smoking the weed. What, 10, 13, ten, 15 minutes before the NFL draft starts? I mean, this dude easily could have won as high as three. He could've won easily as high as three. Maybe even six to Baltimore. He kept dropping and dropping and dropping, an estimate he lost about eight million dollars. So you gotta be you gotta be angry. Gotta be upset. Washington Post had a interesting article, interesting. Uh, thought, interesting observation. Sally Jenkins, columnist, Washington Post, been there for a long, long time. Her contention is that the NCAA, on some level, created the culture. As the title says, NCAA created the culture that drove Laramie Tunsil, excuse me, towards low life. And the thing about it is, when, when you when you start messing with low lifes you run into situations where guys when you when you go in a different direction try to do anything in their power to defame you. Do everything in their power to to, to put videos on you. Do everything in their power to leak text messages between you and the coaching staff at Ole Miss as you're asking for money. Three hundred bucks for your mom's electric bill, gas bill or something like that. I mean and and you know, you I mean that's an expensive bill. What what are they doing in there? They're doing in there, having lights on there all night, all day. Jeez, it's a lot of stuff. That's a little, I mean, the house can't be always so big. If you're having a hard time paying a utility bill, your house can't be that big. Trying to get rent for his mama, so on and so forth. And you, I mean, obviously, when you look at the system in terms of college football, college basketball, these. These these sports generate so many millions of dollars. The coaches are eating. The universities are eating. Only people that ain't eating is the players. And, again, I, I've always said they should come up with some kind of system. I don't know what the system looks like. I don't know how they do it. But it needs to be done. I mean, because the, the reality is the NCAA and the rules that they have, it's not a good situation. It's not a good system for these guys. And it forces these – not forces these guys, but it puts guys – in positions to make Wrong decisions it, it puts guys in positions To start messing with guys and dealing with guys to, to get a little bit of money here or there To keep them going Until they get that big contract In the National Football League Until they hear their name by Roger Goodell At the NFL Draft Everybody's eating Old Mrs. coach Five, Hugh Freeze Five million a year He's eating lovely Lovely. It's amazing. You got to find a way to, to 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 compensate these guys so they won't go down this path. And maybe even if you do compensate them on some level with the opportunity that's out that are out there for them to make more money, you, you still probably will have situations where guys will try to find other ways, other means to try to make more money. <clears throat> But, the, you know, the, the, these guys shouldn't be in posi- the positions they are based off the money that you're generating for these universities and these coaches. You know, the rules are so ridiculous in terms of some of the, tra- the transfers rules. You know, you got coaches who can say, you know what, commit to us for four years, three, four years, four years, and, and you know, and, and we'll appreciate it. We'll be there for you, so on and so forth. I and mean, you got coaches who do not even out there. They're out. I don't blame them. I understand it. But, I mean, if we're going to say, why can't we say coaches have to sit out a year before they can go to a new job? We're going to say players have to sit out a year before they can transfer. Why don't we do the same for coaches? And I know that's of that's been relaxed on some level over the years, but, I mean, it's still out there. But a guy like Laramie Tunsil, you, Tunsil, you got to feel for him, man. I mean, the, the biggest night of his life, biggest night of his life, and you, there's a video that's, two years old being leaked allegedly two years old that's being leaked out there on the internet of you smoking weed in the gas mask and i mean now here's the thing i don't smoke weed you know i don't advocate smoking weed that you i mean there's better things you could do with your time and your money but it is 2016 and the way i feel about it is and it's being legalized all over the country it's being legalized for medicinal purposes being legalized for recreational purposes so the reality is it's being legalized in, around this country, and at some point in time it's going to be legalized everywhere. It's being decriminalized all, all over the country. Some you know, some places it used to be jail time, depends on the amount of weed that you have, now it's turned into a fine. So it, it's really been decriminalized on a lot of levels. And, and again, in some, in some areas it's it's legally it's legal recrela- recreational. I mean, you can do it just like drinking a beer. Smoking a weed is like drinking a beer for some people. And they're able to do it. The point I'm trying to make is this. I, I've, I've said this over and over again. I'll say it again. It's time for the NFL to stop testing for marijuana because it does have some medicinal purposes. and it, You know, you got guys out there using it to help deal with their pain. It's better than popping pills. I, I'll tell you that. It's most definitely better than popping pills for your pain. It's safer. It's better for you. But we'll see if the NFL ever gets to that point. And hopefully for Laramie Tunsil, he learns a valuable lesson. Hopefully this will be in his rearview mirror. But sometimes in the NFL, man, it's very difficult to recoup $8 million. It is. Hopefully he can get to that, He can ball out, get to that second contract and recoup. So that that money's lost. Maybe, he can get, again, that second contract and get a big contract and can move forward from there. But you feel bad for the guy. Who you hope he learns a valuable lesson? You got the situation with him and his stepfather not getting along. Stepfather has, you know, a lawsuit out against him. I mean, you got a lot of things coming at him, and a lot from a lot of different people. That's a difficult situation for a kid. He's young, but hopefully he can get this right. Hopefully, you know, we won't be talking about this moving forward. And again, I mean, it's an unfortunate situation. You got the situation now with Joe Paterno. Now switching gears, Joe Paterno, there, there's an insurance. you got the insurance company in Penn State battling it out in court, and there's reports now that Joe Paterno may have known as early as 1976, 40 years ago, that Jerry Sandusky was a nasty man touching on kids. That's just reportedly. We don't know. I mean, at this point, they're saying in those court filings that the preponderance of it, it's just – allegations at this point there's no back and forth with it. it's just allegations but i look at it this way maybe joe paterno didn't know i'm not i wouldn't be surprised if he did i wouldn't be surprised if he didn't but i think the reality is joe paterno sometimes things become bigger than than you and you want to keep that thing that's bigger than you going and, and so you know you felt like you know what I, I can't stop the train now jerry sandusky's helping me win and I got to keep this thing moving. And the reality is, it's wrong, most definitely, dead wrong. But yeah, and then people will say, "Well, I can't believe you did that. I would never do something like that." So on and so forth. And you're probably right when it comes to kids. You got to be extra cautious, extra careful, and you got to look out for the best interest of kids. But, but I will say this: you never know what you'll do when you're in the in that person's shoes. You never know. And you might say, well, I, I never would do that. I would never hide, you know, do that. And, and, and if they're hurting kids, I'm going to expose them. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. I don't know. But don't act like, you know, you're you're, you're holier than that. At the end of the day, Joe Paterno's not here to defend himself. And maybe Joe Paterno didn't know. I don't know. He's not here to defend himself. But at the end of the day, it is a sad situation what happened at Penn State. Jerry Sandusky's a nasty man. And deserves everything that's coming to him at this point in his life. He's a nasty man, and so and Joe Paterno didn't hurt any kids, but some argue, and it's I guess a legitimate argue, argument if you stand by and let it happen. You know what's happening, and you let it happen, you're just as guilty. Well, it's an unfortunate situation, and we'll see what happens. We'll see how this plays out. Uh, the family of Joe Paterno has come out in support of him, and so we'll see. Switching gears now, we're going to bring in a guy, a legendary actor. Legendary. John Amos is about to come in and join us. This guy has been on Roots, Good Times, you name it, he's been on it. He's done it all, and we're going to bring him in now. Let's bring him in now, a legendary actor. You've seen him on Good Times. You've seen him on Coming to America. You've seen him on Roots. Let's bring him in now, actor John Amos. John, how are you? So far,
2: so good. How you doing, buddy? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Uh, glad to be there. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. John, let's get let's get right down to it. You
1: you, you played football during your time. You had a few shots at the NFL. First of all, what position did you play?
2: Allegedly, running back. It was it was <laughs> never confirmed.
1: <laughs> so, who was John Amos, the football player?
2: Well, he was a guy that loved football, played in high school, played a little college ball, very little college ball, at a program that was not amongst the best in the country. Colorado State University was on a long losing streak when I attended, so I didn't draw the attention of too many uh, pro scouts, in fact, none of them, until I wrote to Hank Stram and asked for a tryout. Hank was, of course, the head coach of the Chiefs at the Mm -hmm. time, and he invited me to training camp on my own dime, and I went. And the truth of it is I stayed a little bit longer than a lot of the guys that they drafted, but at the end of the day, I was given my walking papers. So I played then in what was known as the Continental Football League for a year, and I went back to Kansas City the following year with the same results. So you can't say I had a very good career, but I I tried to take a shot at my dream, and it it wasn't for me. For sure. And
1: And how much football do you watch today?
2: As much as I can possibly get on the tube with all the channels they have today and with the NFL, uh, uh, I watch just about every game. I watch the preseason, the draft choices, the whole nine yards. I'm still addicted to the game. I love it.
1: Let me ask you this. The the game is totally different. Uh, looks totally different today than it did when you played. When you look at the game today, what's your thoughts on it?
2: My thoughts are these are amongst the most gifted athletes I've ever seen in my life. They're bigger, stronger, and faster than anything I've ever seen before. I was watching uh, 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 the uh, Herschel Walker, um, uh, I guess you'd call it his biography to some degree, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was interesting to see how he dominated football at the college level and then later in the pros, and today I think he would just be – he would just be a, a supreme running back, but he wouldn't be the guy that dominated the league the way Jim Brown did when he was playing. But Herschel obviously was a, was a superior athlete and quite a human being on top of that.
1: Now, John, you were telling me off air that your favorite team is the Kansas City Chiefs. I look at right. the Kansas City. I look at the Kansas City Chiefs, and Alex Smith, decent quarterback, I don't know championship caliber quarterback. Your thoughts on the Chiefs and where they are today.
2: Well, the the Chiefs, I think, could be in contention for a run at the title, a run at the the championship with a few additional changes. I think they need to get a little bit stronger, well, quite a bit stronger on defense at certain positions. And they need a quarterback who can um, take full advantage of whatever tools he's given to use. I'm not sure that the quarterbacks that they have uh, drafted in the last couple of years can do the job. Time will tell. But uh, I I believe the Chiefs are always going to be amongst the top teams in the league just because of the organization itself. It is
1: a big-time organization. They've done well over the years. uh, Is there a player that you look at today and you just say, wow, a player in the league now?
2: That that really – Blows my mind. Makes me think that there's <laughs> that he, he could he could be the dominant player in the league. Yes, sir. To tell you the truth, I can't think of one player in particular who is obviously uh, the supreme player of in, in the National Football League right now. He might emerge this coming season as a veteran. Uh, he might emerge as, a, as an outstanding rookie. But right now, I don't see any one particular player who just about every general manager would give his right arm to have on his team. We're talking what would the left there. Say go again? Ahead. No, go no, ahead. I was just going to say, what with Peyton Manning retired, uh, Peyton was the closest thing, I think, to the ultimate uh, NFL player, and he's gone now. So I don't know who the next guy would step up to take that title.
1: Let me ask you this. Brady or Manning, who do you think
2: is better? Mm. All time. That's a heck of a question, man. Um, I would go with I would go with Peyton Manning, um, only because of what he's accomplished, and he had to overcome a number of obstacles, including a pretty severe injury. But and he did, and he came back and led his team to the championship. Uh, Peyton Manning would get my vote.
1: Okay, all right.
2: We're talking the legendary actor John Amos,
1: and John, let me ask you this. In terms of the physicality of the game, it, it is totally
2: different. Do you miss the physical part of the NFL? No, I don't. My knees don't. I've had six procedures <laughs> uh, on my knees. In fact, I'm, I'm nursing them now with, with uh, Epsom salt and with all anything else I can subject them to. <laughs> uh, the guys are bigger. The human beings are bigger, faster, and and in most cases on defense are particularly more aggressive than any, any team that I've ever had the pleasure of watching, or, and certainly not any team that I've had the pleasure of trying out for. Uh, these are superlative athletes and incomparable in physical be- specimens. I've never seen s- such a group of people before in my life that were all dedicated to the same thing, playing aggressive uh, football. Now
1: John I was you know looking at some of the things you did over the years I, I noticed that you did a country music album I didn't know that about <laughs> you tell us about that
2: Well I had a lot of fun with it uh I did an album and it was all a mus- original uh music it was it was put together by a a a composer and by a a songwriter and his son uh Gene Cash the cousin to uh, the late Johnny Cash, okay. uh, Gene and I met when I when I expressed my uh, desire to do some country music. He jumped right in and and he wrote a few songs. I recorded them and I had fun doing it. And it, needless to say, the album did not go platinum. I don't think it even went paper. But <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> I had fun. I think the whole thing with being an artist is you never try, you never know. And you and with today's taste changing so fast. You never know what's going to work and what's not going to work. But anyway, I enjoyed it, but it also let me know that there's a lot more to making a good, successful country music album than just the desire to do so. It was not unlike my football career, except that <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I didn't get swole up and, and bent up and sent to the hospital at the end of the recording session. We have a you got a second album coming? Uh, not that I know of.
3: <laughs>
2: okay, <laughs> and there hasn't been a huge uh, outcry, you know, or clamor for me to produce a second album, but you never know. I might come right. up with a, a, a bunch of songs <laughs> that I think are worth recording, and if so, I'll give it a shot. Why not? Now, now, John,
1: I, I got to ask you about the Good Times days. I mean, you know, me—I'm I'm a forty-year-old man. I, I caught Good Times on the rerun when it was all in reruns. I, I've sure. watched most of the episodes. Big-time fan. Looking back on good times how would you describe your time on good times
2: well it was uh it was a a a time that gave it was a it was a wonderful opportunity for me i had been on a successful show as a recurring uh semi-regular that would be the mary tyler moore show which of course has become a standard for the uh tv and sitcoms uh such as it was we had an incredible cast on that show and when i got the opportunity to um to portray uh, Esther Rolls' husband. Of course, Esther w- w- had, been give- had been offered the series, and she insisted that she have a husband on the show because she wanted to defy the stereotype of the-, the husbandless black family, and it was a wonderful opportunity for me. Um, we had wonderful, wonderful storylines, a lot of which, a lot of them influenced a great many young people. It, it shed light on a part of the American a fabric that a lot of people weren't familiar with, that is the solid uh, black family. So it was a wonderful opportunity for me. Uh, mo- the characters really predicated more on the work ethic that I emulated, that I had been shown in my own family. My mother, I was raised by a single parent until I met my dad in my teens, and he, okay. uh, uh, he was my, my, my model after I started living with him, when I started going to junior college in California, I emulated his work ethic, and he really was—he uh, really was a model for James Evans, a character I portrayed on Good Times. Uh, it was a wonderful—it was a wonderful time for me because I, I had been a writer for television on local television shows and even a network show that was short-lived, the Leslie uggum show. So I was able to use all the all the experience that I'd gained and the the wonderful. Um, the wonderful information and the wonderful relationships that I developed with other ex- more experienced writers that worked on the Leslie Uggams show. These, some of these guys were Emmy winners and had had six very enviable track records of their own. So I had a wonder. It was a wonderful time to be in television because we were all learning. At least I, I thought we were all learning. Some of us were more advanced than others. But when I worked on a local TV show. The Loman and Barkley show, which was only uh, shown up as far north as the Santa Barbara market, I think, in um, California, and maybe as far south as as Tijuana, if it went that far across the border. But the bottom line was, I was working with some of the some of the talent that would go on to make their own marks as writers and performers, i.e., Barry Levinson, who won uh, an Emmy. And uh, later would win an Academy Award for Rain Man uh, as a as a director and as a writer he was he was just wonderful I worked with uh, Craig T Nelson of course of Poltergeist fame mm-hmm. and other projects and uh, it was a wonderful learning experience for me I mean absolutely wonderful I couldn't have had better mentors or better examples to follow than I did in those years when I was first breaking into television. And, of course, when Roots came along, that firmly established me as an actor who could do drama and comedy. And it was a, it was a wonderful opportunity for me. Now I understand that I haven't seen it, or I haven't, I actually I've only seen one brief trailer for the new Roots. And it'll be interesting to see what, how they, uh, how they um, produce something that's been like a hallmark for, uh, for television right. It'll it'll really be interesting to see how they do that. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Let, let me ask you this: and you know, obviously, the whole Good Times thing didn't really end the best of ways for you. Ultimately, you were fired. Uh, looking back on that whole situation, how do you view it today?
2: Um, you mean the, the program itself, or my being fired? <laughs> you, you being fired from Good Times and the way it ended for you. Well. The truth of it is, it couldn't have happened at a better time. Uh, okay. Sure, it, it'd be nice to have continued with the show until it it ran out of steam, but evidently it was uh, it was in the it was in the plans, the great scheme of things, for me to leave the show when I did. Although I didn't plan to be fired from the show, but there were some things that we just couldn't resolve: issues with the script and issues with the way the character was being um, drawn in the scripts. So. It happened for me at the best of times because it gave me the freedom and the momentum to to do Roots, which obviously changed my career to a great degree, and more film roles began to happen after that, and it gave me a chance to show my chops as a dramatic actor.
1: Do do you have a favorite Good Times
2: episode? Oh, there were a great many favorites. Um, I would say the episode in which in which uh, J.J. was shot by a gang member was one of my favorite because it shed light on a phenomena of gang violence and what's happening to our young people in the streets. That was a good thing about, well, one of the very good things, pardon the pun, about good times, is that we tackled serious subject matter, seniors being forced to eat pet food or go without food Mm -hmm. altogether because of the economic constraints. I mean, we tackled some subject matter. That is not even alluded to in most of television today. Uh, yeah. It was a very responsible program in that respect, and I, I still, to this day, I applaud Norman, Norman Lear and his writers. Though we had our, we had some very, very uh, dramatic differences when I was working on the show. Later, I came to respect Norman and some of the choices that he made, including firing me from the show. Wow.
1: I, I, and,
2: you know, I remember that episode with Mad Dog. And, you know,
1: that that episode gets me a little bit. But the, the episode, I think, of good times that gets me the most, and I was watching it recently, is when Florida drops the punch bowl. And, you know, she, the classic damn, 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 damn. And, you know, when James
2: died. Does that get you at all? Well, when a guy dies, there's not too much you can say. <laughs>
3: About, you know,
2: you hope it's not going to be painful and they don't drag it out too long. Uh, but death comes to us all. And so mine fortunately came in the form of a television death. And I, I'm I'm proud to say I'm still alive and kicking. So <laughs> no problem well, is, there. Is, is that weird dying on TV? Well, it's weird from the standpoint that, well, I tell you what, it can be funny, too. I was in a supermarket in California some day, some... Uh, Oh, I guess it'd be months and months after that episode aired, and I was in the supermarket shopping, and a little girl came around the corner. She was looking for cookies or something. She looked up at me and she started screaming. And her mother ran around the corner. She said, "What the hell's going on here? What's my little girl crying and screaming?" And she said, "Mommy, it's JJ's daddy, and he's dead. What's he doing in the supermarket, Mommy?" <laughs> I cracked up. And her mother explained to her that it was just a television program. and It consoled her a little bit, but I guess that was the strangest thing that happened to me in conjunction with that uh, that particular television episode of a, a very popular television show. We're talking to
1: legendary actor John Amos, and, and John, let, let, let's go to Roots. And you know, you talked about Roots, and you know, they're they're going to have uh, something different, something new, I should say, when it comes to the Roots series. But looking back on it. Could you talk about the impact of Roots and and what it had on society, the impact that Roots had on our society?
2: Well, if people could remember, there were a number of things that happened to make Roots the success that it was. First of all, it was in the hands of one of the most successful uh, and one of the most talented producers in the industry. That would be David Walper. And it's ironic that this new version of Roots is in the hands of his son, uh, Mark Walper, that's why I'll be really interested to see if they can put things together the way we were very fortunate to have had Roots happen when it did. If, if you remember, the biggest demographic that is the television viewing market was on the East Coast, as, as confirmed by the Nielsen ratings. And as fate would have it, and I do believe fate played a big part in Roots, the success of Roots at that time, number one, the subject matter had never been Skillfully and sensitively uh, approached and treated prior to David Walper's development of Alex Haley's uh, best-selling novel. Two, it came from a best-selling novel. That is, the television program did. Number three, there was a, there was an incredible snowstorm. If you recall, that same week that Roots was airing, people literally could not get out of their house, and I often told myself and others who would listen. In fact, when we had our roots reunion at Oprah Winfrey's estate some years later, uh, I pointed out the fact that roots was shown during one of the most severe snowstorms in the history of the East Coast weather reporting, and people literally could not get out of their house. So what recourse did they have but to watch television? And, of course, the television show to watch it at that time was Roots. Now, I don't know if this new Roots version is going to have the same impact. Number one, the material's been covered. Number two, I don't know if the nation people would care that much about the subject matter as much as they did back when we first aired Roots, the original. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they treat it. We had wonderful, wonderful writers, incredible talent. Ben Vereen, Louis Gossett Jr., Leslie Uggams. I mean, the list just goes on and on as to the talent that was on that TV screen for uh, the entire run of the uh, series. So it'll be interesting to see if they can recapture anywhere near the demographics that we were able to capture uh, because of all the things that I've already mentioned. But I look forward to watching it just to see how they treat material that's already been determined and recognizes one of the finest moments in television. And,
1: and let me ask you this one. You know, playing the role that you play, you played Toby, and, and playing that particular role. Kunta Kinte, please. Kunta, yeah, Kunta <laughs> Kinte. Uh, <laughs> did, you, did you get angry or were you upset at any point in time as you were playing that particular role, being all the stuff that Kunta had to go through?
2: No, on the contrary, to me as an actor, it was a challenge. It was a great challenge, and it gave me a chance to sh- to show people just a little a little bit, just a smidgen of what my ancestors had to go through. Uh, okay. A great many of them uh, suffered more indignities, torture, and I mean, just treatment like beast under the, you know when slavery until slavery was abolished, and in some parts of the world. It, slavery goes on to this day, but I don't think people had any idea how it devastated families, how it literally killed and tortured human beings, and that the entire economy of a country, a nation, was predicated on the backs of those slaves. So I'm hopeful that the the, the, the next version or the version that they're presently working on or that they're presently about to air will have at least a minimal effect on today's young people in particular, and perhaps even an older generation. But I, I sincerely doubt if that's possible, because, one, there's so many offerings on television today that it'll be hard for it to distinguish itself from a lot of the other stuff that's on unless they really make a superlative effort to uh, make it shine and make it make it the thing to watch. But I, I honestly don't think that it will go anywhere near capturing the numbers that we were able to for all the reasons I've already given. For sure. We're talking to legendary actor John Amos.
1: What's John Amos up to today?
2: Well, a little bit of everything. Uh, I'm doing a lot of writing and producing my own projects, one of which is uh, a project called Gangs at Sea, in which I uh, I love to sail, and I live. I have a sailboat, She's she's docked in Mexico, and I get out on her every time I get a chance. Uh, I've always been a social worker to some degree. I took my degree in sociology at Colorado State University, and I've always tried to make things a little bit better for the younger guys coming behind me, not just necessarily actors, but I mean young people. I'm a father of two, and a grandfather as well, with a granddaughter who has graduated. She's got her master's degree, and she's doing some very, very worthwhile work, I feel, in her chosen uh, field. And she is representative of so many young people that just need direction, uh, even though she's got her degree and she's doing well. I've got a lot of friends and colleagues that have children, and we're all mutually concerned about what's happening with our young people today, well, with gang warfare and the mm-hmm. proliferation of drugs, etc. cetera. So uh, I would say that My work from here on in is not so much to be in the next big movie or the next big TV program, but to use the things I've learned to shed a little bit of light on the problems that our young people are having, because they're going to inherit this planet, and quite frankly, they're going to have their hands full trying to rectify some of the issues that we as adults have created. For sure. Does John Amos ever retire? Well, I, in my business, you don't retire so much as you just fail to show up for work one day. <laughs> <laughs> Does John Amos ever fail to show up to work one day? Yeah, I think that day could, could come. There have been a lot of days when I just did not want to make it out of bed. And the older I get the, and the football injuries come back to haunt me, uh, not only that, but it becomes more and more difficult to be motivated. Because, the you know, the material that you're given today as an actor is not comparable, I feel, for the most part. It's very rare that you get something that's really challenging, something that is well, really well written and that appeals to you as an actor. And I'd like to think of myself as, as an artist at this point that appeals to you and makes you look forward to getting out of bed in the morning and going to work and learning your lines and interacting with the rest of the team that comprises a successful program uh, or a successful movie. Quite frankly, for the most part, the writing is not there uh, as it was. I feel we had much better writing when I was coming along. Uh, The programs that do have some impact and are appealing are few and far between. The good thing about today's television is that there there being so many different programs being produced – I, be, I became addicted to this show called Black Sales, which is uh, not so much an ethnic uh, perspective on the uh, the piracy that went on for so many years, but it is it is uh, it, it alludes to the uh, the pirates who controlled the, the trade between countries and controlled particularly the Caribbean and and uh, you know the uh, the maritime industry. Uh, okay. it, I find it fascinating, I, I find the writing is is really of a high quality, the acting is superlative, but programs like that are few and far between, I feel for the most part, a lot of these programs are indistinguishable one from the other, and for the most part I don't watch as much television as I do read, I pref- much prefer to read unless there's something really outstanding on the tube, and like I said, those opportunities seem to be coming Few and far between. Do you watch Good Times uh, reruns? Occasionally I'll, I'll watch an episode or two, and I still get a chuckle. I still get a laugh, and I still feel a twinge of, uh, of uh, empathy for the situation the characters were in at the time. But having done it so, so long ago and having uh, enjoyed it you know, in retrospect for so many years, uh, it doesn't hold the same attraction for me it, right. it did at one time. You know, you know, one thing that always bothers me about the show is they never got
1: out of projects until the end. I almost wish they would have got out of projects, like uh, maybe a few episodes before the whole thing ended. But
0: you know, yeah, well
3: that's TV.
2: Is. And I got out, but I had to die to get out. oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you got out. <laughs> yeah, I got out, and I I moved on to other things. So, like I said, it's it's that's television. I'm glad it had the impact that it did because it made people uh, look, at, look at life in Chicago and in the projects through a different lens, and I think that's right. a good thing. It increased people's sensitivity for a while anyway, and then the usual things started to happen. Right.
1: Do you keep in contact with anybody from that cast?
2: Uh, yeah, I do. Every, well, I don't make a point of calling them every Sunday or you know once a week or any scheduled right. time. But every once in a while, we'll we're, we're run into each other as professionals, and I still have okay. a good rapport with most of the actors, especially Ralph mm-hmm. Carter, who played my youngest son, and with Bernadette Stannis, who played my only daughter on the show. We we still get along very well, and I talk to them every once in a great while when our schedules allow. But everybody's okay. busy moving on with their lives, raising their children, right. their families, et cetera, so I have as well. For sure.
1: Now, now, John, what you said before that you know, it, it, it takes a lot for you to get off that couch nowadays. The scripts aren't really necessarily out there. But is that what you're necessarily looking for? You're, you're looking for like a challenging type of role that would get you off your couch? Uh,
2: not necessarily. I'm not, I'm not really chasing my career with the same passion that I did years ago. Okay. Uh, if something good comes along, I'm not going to turn it down. But quite frankly, the writing... And the opportunities, the quality of the material that's offered and that's out there available for me or most actors today is not comparable to what I've been, I guess I've been spoiled to a great degree. I've had (laughs) wonderful, wonderful opportunities like the Mary Tyler Moore Show and various other programs like Roots. So I know quality when I see it. And a lot of the stuff that's offered today is not of a comparable quality or even anywhere near it. And thank god i'm not on relief. I managed to put away a couple of bucks, so i 'm not hungry and uh, as a writer, I can always write or create something for myself for the last twenty twenty some odd years or so i've been touring the country and in fact touring some some of the better spots in the world to do my own one man show called haley 's Comet so okay that allows me to portray an 80 year old man uh, who is had a wonderful life, and has uh, traveled and has raised children. And he has seen the changes in humanity and the changes in the world, and he shares that with the audience. And I'm pleased to say that it's been a very successful vehicle for me. Having written it, it allows me the freedom to address issues that I don't get a chance to uh, address through the regular medium.
1: Now, John, before we get out of here, i got to ask you this. You, you talked about the many years that you played football. Do you have any effects in terms of neurologically, in terms of the brain, in terms of concussions? Do you have any effects
2: in terms of that? Well, most of, if you talk to most of my classmates in high school or college, I'll tell you we wouldn't know the difference because Amos was crazy, you know, in high school <laughs> and in college. So maybe, maybe I got some brain damage. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to put in any claims for any for any money or try and get a settlement of any kind. But um, I have a few problems, physical as well as neurological, I guess. Um, but it, they haven't done a brain scan to show that I've got any issues. I wasn't around long enough. Maybe my ego got bruised more than anything, <laughs> being cut from 13-teens. But I'm I'm still able to function. I can tie my own shoes, <laughs> and I can find my way home. So I, I really don't have any problems. I never, I never played long enough for anybody to to sustain any brain damage, <laughs> other than maybe falling, getting off the bus or the plane. <laughs> John,
1: an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you well, thank nothing you for but the, the best opportunity, man. Thank you. you. No doubt. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Would love to have you on again.
2: Well, I'll be glad to come on again. You say when, get in touch, and we'll talk about some more. Sounds good. Take care. Do the same. And looking forward to this coming season all around. For sure. Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. (laughs) Straight ahead, buddy. (laughs) Take care. All right.
1: Legendary actor, John Amos. Again, pleasure talking to him, man. Honor. I'm honored, man, to talk to a guy like John Amos, all the things that he's done, good times coming to America roots. I mean, it was a pleasure for me to sit down and talk to the great John Amos. And I want to thank John Amos for stopping by. I also want to thank Ryder University assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill for stopping by. You can listen to this show. Another great show is blocktalkradio.com slash We're going to listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at go for Again. Like us on Facebook at go for Again as well facebook.com slash go for it for everybody here at go for it happy mother's day to all the mothers out there have a great weekend see you later take care bye